Hello, my name's Hannah Reeb. I'm the founder of Nature Nurtures, where we help social entrepreneurs, passionate teachers and early years practitioners to set up their own outdoor nurseries and projects for children around the UK. Here on the road that led us here, I interview pioneers in education about how they built their businesses and the journey that brought practitioners to their role in working with children. Joining me is someone who has done the whole thing, setting up Monmouthshire's first outdoor nursery, Kin Nature Kindergarten. Sal Preston is a former primary school teacher, a forest school leader, and Skogs Muller leader. I understand that Kin has just been nominated for Innovative Setting of the Year in the Early Years Wales Awards. Is that right, Sal? Yeah, that's correct. We, um, the nominations were asked for back in March and then everything obviously went quite quiet because of COVID. And we literally got an email last week to say, congratulations, you've made it onto the shortlist. So the awards are happening next week where we'll find out whether we've won or not. Very exciting. So that'll be in December. You're, you're here, hopefully. We're going to find out how you got Nature Kindergarten started. But first, you were teaching in mainstream primary schools. So when did you decide to leave teaching in schools? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, so I, um, my background is as a foundation phase teacher in Wales. And I was teaching for the best part of 10 years in a school in Monmouth. When I had my own children, things really changed for me. I'd returned to work on a part-time basis. And I had a background in forest school and I'd spent time um, in Norway looking at the nature kindergartens out there so I always had this kind of underlying desire to to move into that kind of work but when I had my own children the work-life balance just became too much or non-existent so I have, I've got two daughters there's only two years between them so doing part-time work and looking after them everything just became a bit too much and really I just became really frustrated with what was going on in schools I didn't feel like I could affect the change I was teaching reception class at the time and the children in my class were not getting to play until two o'clock in the afternoon you know we had to do an hour of literacy an hour of math um, an hour of topic and you know by two o'clock these poor little four-year-olds still hadn't really played in the way that I believed that they should be and also because I was doing a job share I was in a job share role you know I had to work alongside my colleague and and I had to kind of fall in line with the way things were done in school and I just reached the point where I felt really disillusioned with the whole thing and and needed to change. You were looking for some freedom by the sounds of it. Yeah yeah definitely I had some ideas I mean the foundation phase in Wales is very play-based the foundation that it's built on is quite it stems from the Scandinavian methods but I think in reality, we don't have the people in the classrooms to make it to make it work. We don't have the numbers of staff to actually make it work in the way that, that it probably should do or, or it was designed to do. Um, I just really felt like there was another way and I wanted to be able to, to go and explore that. And, and I didn't feel like I was going to be able to do that within a mainstream school. Were you able to get you straight from school into setting something up or did you have a break? So I did leave to go and work with another company in Wales who were looking to set up an outdoor nursery and we set up an outdoor toddler group and that was really successful. Unfortunately, our paths parted. We didn't, we didn't get on particularly well and, and so I left that company and I spent a year then just with my younger daughter before she went to school. I just decided that 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 time was really precious with Erin and that I should just stay at home and do the home stuff with her. And then once she went to school, that freed me up to be able to go and, and work out what I needed to do next. 
what I hadn't really realized was that I was actually going to have to retrain, which took me another year. Um, in Wales, you have to have a childcare qualification to work in the nursery. And even though I was a qualified teacher for children aged three to 11, um, I had to go and get this level three childcare qualification. Wow. Okay. So you had quite a busy transition period then. So you had that, you had your young daughter, Erin, and then also studying as well. And then where did the spark to set something up yourself come from? So as a young teacher, a young enthusiastic teacher, (laughs) um, without any young children at home, and it was even before I was married, actually, I was lucky enough to join a study trip to Norway with Mind Stretchers, with Claire Warden of Mind Stretchers um, and Ockloan Nature Kindergarten in Scotland. Um, And I went to Norway for a week to go and visit just a variety of nature kindergartens. And because I'd already done my forest school training, I was already aware of the benefits of the outdoors. And when I saw these proper, you know, full-time outdoor nurseries, we went in February, so it was snowy. um, And there were three-year-olds cooking around a fire, using knives, um, skiing, like cross-country skiing. They were dressing themselves. They were, you know, in their proper full-on winter gear and I just fell in love with it immediately and there and then decided that I wanted to bring this model to Wales and that was in 2011. It actually took me eight years to actually get this off the ground and I was sure that somebody else would have done it before me because it just took me so long to get around to doing it. Um, There is one other setting that I know of in mid Wales that is predominantly outdoors but apart from that I think we're the only ones. So, but it was, it was, it was that trip to, to Norway that really sparked it, but I didn't have the confidence or the know-how or the experience at that point to do it. And I suppose if I had done it at that point, it just would have been completely different. I didn't have those years of teaching behind me. I didn't have those years of a parent behind me. And so sometimes the journey is necessary, isn't it? To, Absolutely. To get to, <laughs> well, you know, the journey is necessary to where you're going. That was a really great study tour. And actually at the time, I had no idea, but I was with some really amazing women. There was Claire Warden at the time. Nikki Buchan was working with her at Auckland Nature Kindergarten. And now Nikki's really well known in, and she's in Australia at the moment. There was also Jan White was on the the tour as well. Oh, wow. Um, And Wendy Lee from New Zealand. So I was around (laughs) all these amazing women, um, early years practitioners. And actually I was coming at it more from even though I was at the lower end of the primary school, I was coming at it more as a key stage one teacher. Um, and I had no idea who these women were at the time. And I was kind of surrounded by these amazing practitioners. So it was such a valuable trip. And actually, I think that was the real starting point of Kin. Wow. What a surprise to find yourself on a trip with all these other, well, these wonderful pioneering women who, who, yeah, who yeah, went on to yeah. made huge strides in the sector, haven't they? So, yeah, wow, yeah. what a gift for you. Right. So this is an eight year journey. So yeah. as is typical with these things, it does take time and it takes a lot of putting ideas together, doesn't it? And yeah. how is that going to work? Because there's so many different strands to this, to setting something like this up. It's huge did you have anyone else that you wanted to do it with or did you just know you wanted you had a very strong vision of what you wanted it to be so you were happy to go ahead alone I would have preferred to do it with somebody (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think if I'd have known at the beginning what I was letting myself in for I did have a really good friend 
um, that I would have happily set up with. And we'd both worked for the, the company that I was talking about before. We worked there together and set up the toddler group there together. And we had discussed setting up something together. It was just a geographical thing. I live at one, you know, in one county and she lives in another county. And it was just that I suppose we live about an hour and a half away from each other, really. And so we needed to find a halfway point to make it feasible for us both to travel to work. And there wasn't really a logical place for us to do that. And then I suppose I set up where I set up because I happened to find the site and that's what governed it. So she carried on and took her own outdoor um, toddler group and she still runs that. And we still speak and obviously share ideas and get together and share practice and stuff. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was just me and I just had to go for it. Wow. Tell us the story of how you came about the site that you have, the piece of land that you yeah, have access to okay. now. So again, a lady that I met when I worked for the other company. So although, although this other company, it didn't work out, actually, it led me to where I am now, which is how these things often happen. So another lady that I worked with at that time was a primary school teacher and a forest school leader. And we were literally just in contact over a text one day. And we were just saying, oh, how are you getting on? What are you doing? And she, she said, oh, um, I'm about to move off to Africa and go and teach in Uganda for a couple of years. And she asked me what I was doing. And I said, oh, that's a shame because I'm still looking for somewhere to set up my nursery. And, you know, it'd be great if you could maybe come along and we could work together. And she said, oh, well, I can't because I'm going to Africa, but I know somewhere that you need to go and see. And basically it was somewhere that she'd been, I think maybe she'd hired it out or visited with the school that she'd been working with. And I went down to see it. It was during the summer holidays. I took my two girls down and met the farmer. And it all just went from there. And literally, if I hadn't have been speaking to this friend, I don't know what I would have done because she was, she was about to get on a plane to go to Africa for two years. So it was As just... You do. The, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but the timing was amazing. And it all started from there. So that was kind of in August. That must have been August 2018. And so I spoke to the farmer and kind of shared my vision with him then. And it started from there. Um, and then the registration process was the next thing that I had to do. So I think as with a lot of these things, finding the land can actually be a real sticking point for a lot of people because it's such a big thing, isn't it? We've got to find somewhere that fits with your lifestyle, you know, your own family, not too far geographically. Yeah. And then it's also planning out the site, making sure the space is going to work for how you see the kindergarten running and then on top of that you've got to negotiate a fair price yeah so absolutely. how did that go with the farmer how did that conversation I mean was he or she were they open to negotiating or it was here's the amount and off you pop no it was I mean luckily neither of us really had a clue to be honest uh -huh. um I put forward the idea of using the site three days a week, which left the possibility of him being able to use it for other events or other things four days a week. So that still meant that he could generate an income on the days that we weren't there. And I just very cheekily said, well, look, other playgroups, other nurseries that would perhaps be running out of a local church hall or village hall would pay X amount an hour. I think I said £10 an hour and he kind of just went for it and he said, well, you know, he said, well, I'd, you know, I'd prefer £12 an hour. And I said, well, <laughs> I don't know how many children I'm going to be able to get on board. So can we start at £10 an hour and go from there? So we kind of negotiated a day rate. Um, 
I suppose the cost of the land for me equates the same amount of money that I would pay for one member of staff. So I have, so that's kind of how it, it goes in the budget. You know, it's like equivalent of, um, of another salary. But no, he's been great and he hasn't, I mean, obviously I think he'd probably like more money. We'd all like more money, but we've settled on our hourly rate for the time being. We did talk about an amount per child. So that was an option. He said, oh, maybe you could give me an amount per day per child. Um, but I think actually this hourly rate has worked out better for him, actually, because we didn't have that many children to start with. It probably could have been quite cheap for me to, in the beginning. <laughs> but yeah, it's a figure that we both, you know, seem to be happy enough with. And he's not asked me for any more money. So we're OK at the moment. Would you move to a lease so that you have a bit more security with, with having that site? Because I'm guessing it's sort of a, a day rate. It, it's just a sort of pay as you go, I suppose. Well, yeah, so I pay him monthly. We have got a lease kind of agreement in place that says okay. that I have exclusive rights to it on the days that I need to use it. We're only there during the term time as well. So we kind of have 38 weeks. I mean, we, we do run some holiday clubs as well, but the main kind of contract or lease there is that it's a term time. Yeah, no, I trust him. So, you know, we've been through thick and thin this year. So I think if we can get through this year and he's still there supporting us he's, he's actually very very supportive he, I've, he's like our own little father christmas we've really landed on our feet with him he's brilliant so that's what it takes at the beginning to have helpful people yeah. and as you found it's knowing it's knowing people as well so and so he's got access to this land or did you know about this it's a sort of secret network i mean i live in monmouthshire so i spent years driving around you know just anywhere i was going oh would that be a good kindergarten <laughs> They got a car park. How many cars would I fit on that? You know, because this is the thing yeah. you've got to think about as well. Like a lot of our roads are country roads. The access isn't great. And you need a car parking pull-in area at least. And you need lanes that are going to be big enough to hold a little, a little bit of a volume of traffic, you know, just for that first bit in the morning and, and at collection time as well. And you need to think about are there enough laybys on the road and things like that for cars to be able to pull in and let each other through. So... I had one other place in mind that I was going to approach. I did approach a local estate as well, like a country estate near us, but they already had an outdoor toddler group running and they felt that there could have been a conflict of interest with two very similar businesses running from the, from the land. So, and I know the ladies who run the, the toddler group and I didn't want to get into any kind of, you know, falling out with them. So we've kind of, you know, given each other some space on that one. Yeah, it's good. And I think what you're doing is very bespoke as well. It's very unique. Um, so, And they are, t- at the end of the day, they're two different niches. You sort yeah, of fit absolutely. into your own niche, don't you, each each yeah. of those individual settings, which I think is really good for the community because it brings options. And, and I think that's important. That's why we do a lot of our work. I would say that's one of our biggest motivations for helping people to get other projects set up because it's about enriching communities and, and bringing parents a lot more options and for them to understand that, no, I, I do have choices here. I Absolutely. think it falls apart a little bit when you get to school, but at least in the early years, we can model something very special and exciting. Yes. So you've got your land and you're busy getting excited about what you can do with this site. Yeah. What happened next? You have to register as a childcare provider. So you have to put together all your policies and procedures. And there's a very big kind of folder of information that, that I had to submit to the care inspectorate in Wales. So to become a childcare provider in Wales or a childminder, you have to register with the care inspectorate for Wales. 
And so I worked day and night putting, you know, devising policies and, oh goodness, I can't even think now, risk assessments. And you basically have to act as if, you have to act as if this nursery is going to come to fruition, but they won't come out and look. They won't come out during the process. So I had no idea. All I wanted was for somebody to come around the kindergarten site and say, yeah, this will be okay. No, you'll need to think about that. But basically I had to guess everything. There are some national minimum standards. There's a a document that you have to follow um, and you have to meet all these standards and requirements, but they are very, very specific. So it's things like all rooms must be heated to, I don't know, 18 degrees and all windows must have locks on them and all doors must have door guards on them and everything obviously is very tailored to an indoor setting so I had to kind of navigate my way through these standards and work out how that would apply to us so things like you have to have x number of toilets per 10 children and you have to have hand washing facilities a certain number of sinks per toilet and all all these different standards so I basically had to just say this is how we're going to do it and then I handed it in I had to drive um, over towards Murfordville and go to this meeting and hand in my big folder and that was the last I heard for about three or four months so they basically just sat up they sat on the folder they sat with with it it's about a 14-week process and you just don't really hear anything so this was January and we didn't get anyone to come out to the site until May so this is January 2019 and nobody came out to the site to look at it or inspect it or set eyes on it until May but they also want to know who's going to work for you. They want to know who's going to be on the staff. So in that time, kind of March, April time, I started to recruit and I was recruiting people, not knowing whether we would actually be able to open the nursery. How does that work then? So you're having to recruit people. You don't have a nursery yet, but you need to make sure that you can show the inspector that you can do all the appropriate checks and these people are appropriate to work with children, but also that you're happy to work with them. But also I think it can be really tricky for those practitioners coming into something that doesn't necessarily exist at this point. Yeah. I mean, again, I think the stars just aligned, to be honest. I'd put a few notices out on Facebook and I'd put a few kind of photographs up on Facebook about coming soon, coming to the area, this new outdoor nursery. And I just kind of try to drum up the excitement and the interest amongst the local kind of Facebook pages. And the community went went wild for it, you know, like we had loads and loads and loads of people commenting and sharing and saying, look at this place that's coming. So there was a bit of a buzz about it coming. And I was just really honest with our audience and said, it's coming. We're in the process of registering. We're hoping to be open by May. Um, watch this space, join our mailing list, that kind of thing. Um, and again, with the recruitment, I put out adverts. I was just really honest with people and said, we're in the process of registering. It isn't registered yet, but I need to have people in place. And I got quite a lot of interest. And there was one girl who is my de- now my deputy and she was working at a, a traditional nursery and I think she was on some kind of zero hours contract or a part-time contract and she was ready for a change. So she came and was interviewed and she had nothing to lose because she had, you know, we were only going to be open part-time. She was already only working part-time. So she knew that she'd be able to fit the hours in around what she was already doing. So it was no risk to her to come and have an interview with me. And then the other girl this was really amazing. She lived 10 minutes away from the site, but she'd been working 
in London for Little Forest Folk. And I nearly, like, I nearly fell over when I got her email because I, and I had to read it three or four times. And I said to my husband, there's a girl who's applying for the job and she works for Little Forest Folk because these are people that I've, you know, obviously you follow all these different companies, don't you? And you follow all these different outdoor nurseries. Um, and this was a well-known established brand in London. And I said, and she wants to come and work for me. So, and she lives 10 minutes away from the site. So she came for an interview and she got the job and, you know, and then there was the three of us and we were just really excited and we were just really committed to projects and to each other. And we just believed that it would work. So are they still with you, both of those? So Sarah, my deputy is, and Amy is currently on maternity leave. So by, so by the time we actually opened and kind of got our, off the ground, um, she then found out that she was expecting. So she's on maternity leave at the moment. Um, oh, goodness me. Yeah. So that's another thing that I've had to do. I've had to recruit again. So yeah, it's all fun and game. Do you do all the payroll and the accounting and stuff like that? or No, because I just think that would be a step too far. And, and I, I know my limitations. So I do everything. I do my own kind of books, you know, like I've got my own kind of accounting software, but I have an accountant and I've got a lovely lady who sorts out the payroll. Um, and I'm always sending her questions and queries because I don't really understand it. And she, she talks me through it. Because that's and a learning often, curve, even yeah. trying to get to understand maternity pay, statutory maternity pay and oh, all that in your first exactly. year as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I do everything else. You know, I yeah. do all, all the marketing and all the admin and all the invoicing and, and every, you know, the parents invoicing. But the actual business accounts, I hand that over over to someone because it would just be a step too far I mean I've had to learn how to run a business and run a nursery in the last 18 months so yeah it's kind of like two separate things like running a nursery is one job and like running the business is another job so it's been quite full on tell me a bit about your site what's there what does it look like okay so it's in so it's it's a farmer's field basically and he's planted a woodland there 20 years ago so we've got a mixture of open fields it's, and, the, and the woodland is actually in a, in a little dip. It's in a little valley. So it's, it is quite wet, which I think is why he planted it up. And he wanted the water for his animals. There's like a, like a naturally occurring spring on the site. Um, it's about seven acres altogether. There's, we have cows on one side. So there's a farm on, on the other side of us and there's cows in that field. And we've got horses on the other side. Um, we're basically just surrounded by by hills. So we're just in the on the edge of the Black Mountains, really. We're just outside of Abergavenny. Oh, beautiful. And it is. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. We sometimes get ramblers passing us. There is like a public right-of-way that goes through part of the site. Right. Um, How did the inspectorate respond to that, knowing that there's members of the public that have that right of access? Were they okay about it? Yeah, they were okay. And I think we quite firm in our kind of, convictions about that there's, there's you know I've worked in a traditional nursery in the center of Monmouth and you, if you want to take the children outside you have to pretty much through a car park and cross a busy road to get to the park so and they're more likely to come into contact with the general public and traffic in that scenario than them coming into contact with a couple of ramblers passing on the outskirts of our forest so they were fine about that actually and I guess you had good documentation because you would have risk assessed that as well for them and they can see your thinking about it. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a building on your site? Not really. So we have a, we have a field shelter 
which has been built, which is just inside the main gates where the children arrive in the morning. So we have a small area of hard standing where parents can pull in to drop the children off in the morning. And we have almost like a window of time for them to drop off in the morning because it's not big enough to call it a car park as such. So that we need to have people arriving and leaving on a staggered basis so that it doesn't get too clogged up. So we have like 15, 20 minutes in the morning where people can drop their children off. So we needed somewhere to gather while we were waiting for all the children to arrive. And we also needed somewhere where they could get into their kit for the day. So we've got a small, it's probably about 10 by 8, 10 by 8 feet cabin, we call it, but it's basically just a field shelter. It's got hay on the floor. We've got a few hay bales in there for children to sit on. And it's got like a little stable door so that we can keep them in there well, while, we're, you know, while we're safely releasing them at the end of the day. And we absolutely love it. And I was saying to Sarah yesterday, do you remember when I said to the farmer, oh, would it be all right if we put up a gazebo at the top of the field that we could stand under in case it was raining? And I was thinking, oh, I'm so glad we haven't got a gazebo because that would just be really rubbish. Like it's really, it's really nice to have that, those four walls at the end of the day or the start of the day just to shelter in while we're kind of, you know, preparing for the day. And then down in the forest, we have a structure. It's only a shelter. We call it the tree house because it's made out of trees and it's nestled in the trees, but it's not really, really high up. Um, But it's literally poles and a canvas roof. It's beautiful. Um, Sounds wonderful. It is. It's absolutely, it is really magical and it's beautiful, but there's no electricity and there's no running water and there's definitely no heating so it provides that kind of idea of a settlement you know it provides that idea of of a base and it gives you that sense of security but it can get quite cold and muddy in there that we haven't got a proper space that we can retreat to that's got a heat source in it we've got fire pits out and about and we've got a small canvas tent that we call the story tent it's kind of it's Again, the farmer had it made. He's been amazing. He had it made for us. It looks like a giant witch's hat, but it hasn't got complete sides on it. It's only got a few bits that dangle down. So again, it's not a complete enclosed space. But it gives you that. It defines a space and it gives you that idea of a gathering space and it gives you that sense of protection from the element. Um, But yeah, we don't have a proper building. We do have some compost toilets and they're in like a little unit I suppose I suppose that's like a little mini building but no proper building well you've got a lot of shelters there which is fantastic yeah especially in the Welsh elements so you opened in June 2019 yes how many did you open with how many children I think we had three children on our first day I think we opened with three or four children we registered to be able to have 12 children a day and I think that's one of the things that struck me I didn't expect it to be that tricky to get children on roll. I thought 12 children a day wasn't a lot of children to find. Um, Can I just ask what the registration of the 12, so what was that based on? Because obviously you're outside, you don't have that same restriction in terms of based on the space. You also don't have a cabin, so you again, you're not... We're not confined to square footage. It was me. I kind of thought, coming from school, having 30 children, I felt like I spent all of the day skimming across the surface of, any, of everything and I didn't feel like I ever got chance to make real connections with the children and that was something that I was really was a top priority for me that I wanted to get to know those children and those families 
and to really have a proper relationship with them. And 12 just felt like a good number for the ratios. I said, okay, I think we need, from a health and safety point of view, I think we need three members of staff because that would allow us, you know, if somebody became injured during the day or if somebody became ill during the day, um, one member of staff could look after the children while the other member of staff gave first aid to the injured member of staff. So, so my thinking kind of started along those lines. The ratios that we were required to have kind of by these national minimum standards is it's one adult per eight children in Wales with, with the three and four year olds. Um, and that just felt like way too much for me. I wanted to do one to four. That's kind of what felt good to me. So I thought, okay, well, if we have three members of staff, we can go for 12 children and that will be quite good. And when the inspectors then did come out to us, they capped it at 12 because they just couldn't see how it was going to work. They were so baffled by us. You know, they, they said it's beautiful, you know, and they sat there and we've got these gorgeous big handmade chairs that look like thrones. And they sat in these chairs and they were, you know, they were visually, you know, like obviously relaxing and it was a beautiful kind of day in May and they were saying, oh, this is idyllic and this is beautiful and it's wonderful, but I can't see how it's going to work as a childcare setting. <laughs> and so they put that stipulation on us. They said, we agree with what you've said. We agree to 12 as being the maximum. And so it was. Isn't that staggering that they couldn't see how it was going to work? I mean, in 2019, come yeah. on. Wow. So that's, that tells you a lot about the Welsh Spectorate at that time. Do you feel that there's been progress? Do you feel, I guess you're a wonderful model to show that, yes, this does work and it can be done. Yeah. And I think they were very willing to acknowledge that the national minimum standards just weren't appropriate for a setting like ours. And they were saying how in the office they'd been discussing how they needed a new set of standards or a different set of standards for outdoor settings. And I was saying to them, but that would almost be impossible as well because every single outdoor setting will be completely different because it will depend on the site that you end up getting. Have you been inspected? Have you had your first inspection yet? We do our inspection February, March time and we had the most awful weather. And so I think they probably kept putting it off because they didn't want <laughs> to come out to us. And then COVID hits. We haven't had an inspection since we set up. So we've had the initial registration inspection. Yeah. And the care inspectorate have been in touch with us, you know, this kind of video call and, and check-in. So, so the way that they've been operating in recent months is that they've been calling settings and discussing, you know, policies and procedures and how, you know, things like that. And we had to, obviously we had to notify them when we closed during the pandemic and, there's a special way of doing all that online that you can send notifications to any changes that you make to your service. Um, but we haven't as yet had the inspector come to look at us up and running. I've spoken to her on the phone and she's really excited to come and see us, but it's just not possible at the moment. Right. So you were in the unique situation where you opened in June 2019. So you had yeah. a lovely end of we literally opened for six weeks because we're a term time setting. Yes. We closed again in July. And some of those children who joined us in the June then went to school in the September. So they literally oh, wow. came to us for six weeks. But their parents were so keen for them to start. Um, they were so, so, so keen for them to come and experience 
the outdoor setting that they signed them up they enrolled them anyway even though it was going to be for six or eight weeks and that's what it takes that's full-on passion and support isn't it for something that they really believed in for their children how wonderful and then you found yourself in the midst of a global pandemic but also you've just been through the winter and mud season haven't you (laughs) absolutely so so the rain started I think in November and I don't think it ended like it was just so wet and even the farmer was saying he'd never seen it that wet Oh no. And at one point we had almost like a little mini river flowing through the forest. It was so, so, so wet. Um, and the roads flooded. And, and I think we had, I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? But we had, what was it, Storm Dennis. And there was all sorts going on. And we just kept going because it's what we had to do. We do have an inclement or adverse weather policy. So there's a local farm park attraction um, in the village that I live in and our kind of you know hideous weather policy is that we won't open the kindergarten and that we will go for a day trip instead so instead of going on a school trip or going on an outing we go on an inning we go inside for the day instead of going out for the day and so we in March and it's about the 12th or 13th of March we just had enough of the mud and we closed the kindergarten for the day and we took the children to this local farm park which is brilliant because it's got like it's got the animals it's got a lovely massive outdoor area but it's also got a load of kind of soft play stuff inside and it's got adventure playgrounds outside so there was loads for the children to do and it just felt like a real treat to go somewhere with a roof and not so much mud Um, but that was the last time I saw my deputy then for six months because everything changed after that so it was that was the middle of March and I think for whatever reason she wasn't in that following week and then we went into lockdown and so yeah so we just had to stay home and I spent those six months looking after my children basically so we could have opened but we didn't have enough parents who were classed as key workers and I think going through that time it was really important to be home for my children luckily my husband was able to work from home but my girls needed me at home and to give them that stability and security and to navigate that time and I'll always be grateful for that time that we had in lockdown because we made some really great memories and we did some really you know I got that time back with them because they're at school now and I don't I don't get to spend that long with them. So I think just putting kin on the back burner was okay at that point. And I didn't feel bad about it, to be honest. I I completely can identify with that because I remember remember when we had to close, because we have a kindergarten as well in Worcestershire that we ran an outdoor kindergarten. And I remember saying to Helen, I don't know what on earth is going to happen and if we're going to be able to continue. But then there's the realisation of, this is going to be for longer than a week or two weeks. It was that, okay, I can actually use this time to really focus on being with my son, family. And actually, it was so wonderful, ultimately. I never did quite 100% relax, I would say. I think when you own a business and you've got other people who are relying on you to pay them, You've got your employees, you're responsible for that. That's a big thing. But as much as I could, I think probably the most I ever had, I was able to to have some semblance of relaxation, I think. But it was wonderful to be able to spend that time with our own family, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I did feel cheated. 
I did feel like I'd lost my reward for all the mud. Like those glorious, those glorious April days that we had at the start of lockdown. I remember I was setting up little things in the garden here for my girls. I just insisted that they played out as much as possible in those early days of lockdown. And we set up a little mud kitchen in the garden and stuff. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I should be in the forest right now. And I should be seeing the blossom on the trees and I should be enjoying the sunshine and I should be enjoying not wheeling everything through mud and having to hose the children down at the end of the day and all that kind of stuff so part of me did feel a bit robbed and I really felt like it was going to be a reward you know and that's the whole thing about an H kindergarten is that you are there in the elements and Mm. you are absolutely part of nature and and you experience the same place but throughout the year and so you experience it in in all its glory and in, in all its muddy glory as well and so now I kind of feel like I've basically done two winters back to back. I basically feel like I've finished in the mud and now come in again, really. Yeah, it is. But the reward in your summer months will be even sweeter than you yeah. could possibly imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how, in terms of financial health, is is the kindergarten doing? So do you have you have more children on roll? Is this looking a little bit more certain for you and sustainable? Yes. Yes, luckily for us. So as we were closing in March, we were just hitting a tipping point where I was going to be able to start taking money from the business. So obviously my priority was always to, to pay, pay the girls that work with me and obviously pay for the site. And so I was, wasn't taking any money at all. And we were just hitting that tipping point where it was looking like I was going to be able to take some money for myself. I think a benefit, luckily for us, of the pandemic is that people have started to want to reconnect with nature and also just the benefits of being outdoors you know everything we're being told is it's safer to meet people outside it's it's better for you to be outside during the pandemic and so people have really started to take that on board and have been seeking out a different type of of setting for their children and I think the other thing that's worked really well for us is we only open for five and a half hours a day so we run from half nine till half two and previously people couldn't use us if they wanted a proper full day of daycare now a lot of people are working from home they can use us as their childcare setting because they are living closer well basically they're just traveling from home aren't they and they can still go home and do four or five hours work while their child is with us um whereas previously they may have been traveling to cardiff or bristol or newport or or whatever so it didn't work so well for them in those circumstances so yeah luckily our numbers have really increased and people are really seeking out the outdoor setting for their children and also people who were already on roll with us a number of them increased the number of days that their children were attending so previously they'd been maybe attending other local settings because we were a more expensive setting so some people do just send their children to us one day a week and then they go to a traditional setting alongside that but with the advice of being outdoors a number of them decided to to increase the number of days that that they attended our setting which was really positive as well that is really positive and i think i think i would echo that for us that's been really interesting to see that shift we've had certainly more children doing more days with us and not shared care with another setting what we have also seen, though, is a, is a significant increase in families in need. So our pupil premium and funded two-year-old children, the number of those children have increased. But I also yes. see that as a massive positive because our site's quite like we're 
we're outside of the main city of Worcester so it's a bit of a drive for people who because most of our parents I would say sort of come from Worcester but we do have a lot of families who do commute I suppose from quite further afield like Great Malvern so it's been interesting to see actually we are an accessible site for those families and to be able to help them as much as we possibly can which I think really enriches your community and and you, you can see the work that goes into that and how people yeah. respond it's really it's, it's really beautiful it's a wonderful thing to see so when you first started when you were putting all these plans together did you foresee that that first year well, obviously you didn't foresee a global pandemic <laughs> I don't think anyone saw that thing, <laughs> <did they? laughs> which has obviously had an it will have had an impact on the finances for this first year in particular yeah. first years are challenging anyway but what were your aims at the beginning financially when you were dreaming of setting this up? That's a really good question. I think I was hoping to be able to earn, I suppose I was hoping to be able to earn an equivalent to my two days of teaching that I was doing, two and a half days of teaching that I was doing before I set Kin up. I was kind of hoping to be able to earn that kind of money, but doing something that I loved. And I think I don't know. I don't know that there were any massive money goals to start with because I think it was more about getting it off the ground and seeing where it was going to go. I think everyone wants to be able to replace their salary, don't they? If you're leaving something to do something else, you at least want to have that comfort blanket of knowing that it's going to cover where you were. Yeah. And my husband said to me, you know, Sal, we can't afford this for, for this to be a hobby. We can't afford for it to be just something that you do. And the thing is, I'm at the site three days a week, but actually I work four or five days a week. You know, I, I, my Mondays are my admin day. Um, and I try to keep Fridays to do a bit of stuff for myself. But then, you know, you're always doing a little bit in the evening. And I think I've, I've been reflect because I knew I was going to be talking to you. So I've been reflecting on this a little bit the last few days. I think in my naivety, I thought that it would be different to being in school, you know, that bringing the work home and doing stuff at the weekends. And actually, it's, it's better because I, I put the boundaries in place and I'm the boss. So I can, you know, I'm not really answering to anybody, but I still have high expectations of myself. And there are certain things that I just can't do when I'm at, when I'm at the site. And I am very much in the numbers at the moment I am very much a working member of staff I'm not a manager that floats in and floats out and and has people doing stuff for me so I'm I'm running the business and I'm managing the nursery as well so I suppose yeah maybe naively I thought that because I was going to be the boss I'd be able to figure this work-life balance out a little bit better that will come in time it will. And at this point, you're running on absolute full throttle. I mean, really, for the first three years, I remember this and just being exhausted. <laughs> but we went full hog. Like we went we even five days a week. I just remember, I remember when we had our first complaint, actually. I can't even remember what the complaint was about, but I just remember a parent being upset about something. And actually having to go on that journey with that parent was really challenging. It was like nothing I'd ever done before. Because I came from a completely different background. My co-director, she is a very experienced practitioner and very highly qualified, but didn't have a huge amount of management experience. Being confronted with that was like, okay, right, how do we, what can we do? How can we help this person? Have you had any 
big lows like that or luckily not I think yeah I kind of struggle I'm very much the ideas person luckily my deputy is really good at kind of grounding me and I, I would say I'm quite scatty because I, my brain is always going with oh we could do this and we could do that and we could do this and we could do that and I have all these, these kind of ongoing ideas and she's very good at kind of bringing me back and saying oh we need to focus on this or we need to focus on that <laughs> or she's very good as well seeing what we are achieving because I think I'm very quick to say we've not done this we've not done that we're not up and running with this yet this isn't working very well yet and she says how we started with three children we weren't even open on a Tuesday because we had no children we had one child on a Thursday and now we've got consistent numbers across three days and she's really good at kind of bringing me back to that I know I've kind of gone off on a tangent that wasn't really what your question was but I think it's the management I think where I was going with that is the management thing so I'm I'm very creative I kind of hold the vision of the business, but I don't necessarily have the managerial experience. Yeah, Um, you've got a wonderful deputy there by the sounds of it. Yeah, she's fab. She is, she's absolutely fab. And on on those days when I've been ready to give up, she's the one who says, you know, we can do this. And and for, for a lot of last year, it was just the two of us because although I'd employed Amy as well, um, we just didn't have the numbers. We didn't have the numbers of children to warrant there being three members of staff there. So, yeah, it was basically me and Sarah in the mud for six months <laughs> with three children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've come a long way, really. But You have, and I think it's really important to have somebody like that that grounds you. I think especially starting out and being that person who's in charge of it and putting together the vision. Because you look at other settings. I remember this at the beginning, looking at other settings and like, oh, wow, they've got this and they've got that. And then they have this person come in to do that. And then they go out on this trip. And I remember, okay, right, we need to replicate that. How can we make that happen? And I just, I remember Helen saying, no, we need to focus on where we are with the children that we have right now, what's best for them. Because I got really particular about going, because we're on a farm, we're located on a farm and going and doing farm trips because we're right next to a farm park. And actually two of the children that we had, it just was not suitable for them. They found it very stressful to go into a whole new environment. They very much did better where they were. So we did stop that. And it just took me a while to understand that, no, this was, this was my own adult agenda that I was pushing yeah, for. Yeah. And that's where, you know, Helen absolutely was so good at, at guiding where we were going and what was best in that moment. So you having that person, oh, yes. so important. It is. And I think even this week we've discovered this as a team. And I think I'm, I'm kind of giving myself permission to be our own setting. Like, obviously I'm inspired by other settings and I do, you know, I follow loads of people online and I look at what they're doing and I suppose it's like with any social media, you have to just have that filter, don't you, to know that people are only posting the really fab bits of their day or what their setting is doing. But we are coming to the realisation now that we have to start using our site in a different way. And the approach that we're going to take over the next half term as we head into winter is going to be very different to what we've been doing previously. Um, and I think it's just having that confidence that we are our own setting we are our own place we can't just replicate what they're doing in other settings because you know our geography our actual physical site is different we're in a very wet site and it actually gets quite dark down in the forest 
And there's nothing I can do about that. And I said to the girls this week, we need to start working with our site rather than against it. And so we know actually that there's a different location within our forest that we can start using that is lighter and brighter and drier. And it makes perfect sense for us to go and start using that in January as, as we kind of go through those last couple of winter months. And it's almost just giving myself permission to, to change up what we're doing and to not just keep flogging away at doing it the way we've done it just because that's the way we've done it. And I think that confidence in our own abilities and in our own practice is, is starting to come through now. And, and I'm quite excited now. I'm quite excited about the winter because I've come up with some different ideas and, and we, we've kind of been reflecting on our practice. It's an you know, exciting time. It it's being is. adaptable and exactly yeah. as you're, you know, what you're saying for the children and, and, and experience the seasons. Yes. And the adults working with what's going to help the environment and help us to be able to move with whatever the weather throws at us. You're yeah, so, yeah. you're so lucky to have such, you've got a significant site there, seven acres, I think you said. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have. And we've got these little shelters dotted around the place. So we, we're quite nomadic in our approach anyway, but actually you know, we are in nature kindergarten and nature needs to be at the heart of what we're doing. We have to be really respectful of it. And I don't want to ruin our site. I don't want to overuse it. And I think it's important that we teach that to the children as well. We're moving away from this location because the ground needs time to recover. The land needs time to recover. I mean, there's also, you know, there's bits and bobs of health and safety around it as well. You know, it's becoming very slippery. People are going to start to hurt themselves. So, um, we risk assess with the children all the time. But I think, like I said before, we have to work with nature and not against it. And so it's our responsibility as the practitioners there to say, it's time for us to go and move and use a different part of the of the woodland and we'll return to this in the springtime. Um, you know. What's the forecast looking for ahead? I mean, do you have a business mind? Do you sit down and sort of think about, okay, we're going to need this number of children for next term or do you just go as you, as you need to go I do and I quite enjoy that side of it it's just I don't always get the time to do it so I do because there's working in the business and then there's working on the business which are very different things and I try to set aside time to work on the business and on my own kind of personal development and my own mindset around that because I'm still learning lots about it so I'm in quite a few like business groups. So I'm in like a local business group and a member of the Female Entrepreneur Association as well, which is like a women's only network for people who run their own business. And that's really interesting because you get completely different insight into business from women of all walks of life. So that's really interesting as well. And that's helped me with the business side of things. I know how many children we need a day on, you know, to be attending per day to make the numbers work. And I know that I've got waiting lists set up and I've got children on those waiting lists. So I know, I know where the spaces are going to appear in July. You know, when they go off to school in September, I know how many places I'm going to have. I know how many two-year-old places I'm, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head, but I know where to find the information. I've got it. And my approach is that we will increase the numbers of children in the summer term. So at the moment I've capped cap the numbers to eight per day even though we can accept up to 12 and initially that was well it was for a few reasons when the new guidance came out from the Welsh government initially regarding COVID children we were supposed to work in groups of eight it was it was bubbles of eight so that made sense 
and I've also got a new member of staff so obviously they're both called Amy which is confusing so old Amy went on maternity leave and new Amy came in so so I had a new member of staff that needed to navigate what was going on and and she's not worked with younger children before so it was quite new for her being outdoors was quite is obviously new um I want my staff to love what they're doing I don't want them to be stressed it's a full-on job and although it sounds like oh you've only got eight children and three members of staff actually if one of you's tied up changing a child or you know going to do something it's full-on there's all you know or somebody's supervising the fire or somebody's taking a phone call or somebody's showing somebody around you know it soon takes an adult out of the numbers so um to make it comfortable for everybody we're having a maximum of eight children a day at the moment and then my plan is that in April when we have our next intake of children we will open that up to then be the full 12 and my thinking with that is that it will allow for the crossover for the transition because we'll be losing some children to school in September obviously there'll be some existing children that stay and then the new children will filter through so my plan is that the new children filtering through will learn from the existing children and the existing children will be able to model how we do things and and the plan is that it will just help to settle the new children and it will help to kind of backfill the spaces if you will so once those other children go off to school we'll probably go back down to eight again for the for the colder the colder months do you think that i mean how far off do you think you are from being able to cover your old teaching salary Oh, that's a good question. I don't know because the way I'm paid is slightly different because I'm set up as, because I'm a director of the company. I have this kind of, I don't really understand it. I have a monthly allowance that is allowed to come out of the business to cover, to cover me. And then my understanding is then at the end of the financial year, if there's any profit, I can get dividends from that. Yeah. Yeah. Is my, is my understanding. Um, I guess you haven't had any dividends yet. No, <laughs> no, we didn't make any money in, no. our, first, in our first year because we were closed for most of it. And I don't know. I suppose I probably wasn't. By the time I was down to two days a week of teaching, I probably wasn't on. I'm put, I don't know, I might have only been on about 12 grand a year. It was probably about £1,000 a month, isn't it? So mm. I think I get about £700 a month at the moment. So Okay, okay. So that's kind of, you know, the proportions of it. Um, yeah. Do you know how much you took in this first year in terms of revenue or is that an impossible sum to know at this point? I just had a quick look on my books, but it, it just had a minus number on it. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Think, yeah. I think at the moment, so kind of like the running total of what has come into the business seems to be about £25,000. Okay, yeah. But I think 21 has gone out again. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like, there's, I don't know, there's about three or four thousand pounds in the account. You know, it's fine as long as we don't have to close again, again well, for any well, length of at, time. Look at it this way, Sal. It's not going to get worse than that because no. you've got, you, as you said, you've got your waiting list. It sounds very robust and you've got a plan there, which is really exciting. Yeah. Do you find that your family are supportive of this you mentioned your husband earlier has, yeah. has he been a support with all of this or does he think you're absolutely nuts <laughs> no he doesn't think I'm nuts he does kind of let me get on with it to be honest he was there though you know like 
we did open days and things like that. But again, in that period where I was trying to recruit people, but we weren't quite open yet, I also felt like I needed to start recruiting families. So we did have a couple of open days and he was, you know, he was there and he was staffing the fire and making cups of tea for people and, I know, cooking hot cross buns on the fire and stuff for me. So, and we got nominated for an award last year, which we didn't win, but, you know, we went to an award ceremony and, and he was there with me kind of, you know, he's, I know he's really proud of me. Um, I think he believed in me more than I did, to be honest. So I think he just sees it as, yeah, she's getting on with it and she's doing what she wanted to do. So I'm, I'm really lucky that he was so supportive and didn't stop. Oh, I don't suppose he could have stopped me, but when I handed in my notice at school, that was quite a massive thing to do really. Like, even though I wasn't incredibly happy, you know, walking away from a 10 year teaching career and that security of having, you know, a salary every month and a pension and, you know, just having that predictability, even though I wasn't the main earner in the house, it was definitely, you know, we, you know, we went down to one income with two young children and I had definitely left my career. Um, and he was really, really supportive of that. And then obviously everything then went a bit the wrong way when I went to work for the other company. So then I felt awful because I'd left a solid, safe, predictable job to go and and follow something that I thought was going to be really amazing. And it didn't work. And there was quite a lot of anxiety about that. And he never once said, oh, what on earth have you done? He, you know, he said, well, you're just, you know, we'll figure it out. You'll have to do it by yourself (laughs) or whatever, which I think was always in my heart of hearts, I think that was always going to be the plan. I just didn't have the confidence to do it by myself to start with. So I think my plan was to go and work with this other company and set up the nursery with them and work with them for a couple of years and see how it all worked. And then I was probably going to try and set up by myself. So I just basically cut out that middleman. You did, you went straight for it. And then do you know how much you spent to set it up sort of what your capital costs were did you have a budget (laughs) I had the bank of my mum and dad (laughs) Um, (laughs) again they were amazing I think they loaned me three thousand pounds there wasn't a I mean there wasn't there wasn't a lot that needed doing so I was lucky we already had these shelters on on the site the farmer actually invested in the toilets the farmer actually paid for the toilets because he has another use for them as well he's got some camping pods on the site that he rents out kind of you know when we're not there basically so for weekends or during the holiday time he's got a couple of these little glamping pods so the toilet facilities our dual purpose so he actually paid for those which was amazing so everything I was buying was things like first aid kits and walkie-talkies and I don't know all the bits of, you know portable toilets and all the bits and bobs that you realize that you need paying for insurance all those kind of payments that you need in those early days oh the big you know the big water flasks and so we have to take all our water to site pool boxes so just you know trolleys all that kind of kit that you need um I suppose it depends what your site is like but I've got a big I've got a van um that I load with probably 15 lit- you know I have 15 liters of hot water that I take to site each day we don't have any kitchen facilities at work. So at the moment, I'm not preparing snacks for the children. But before COVID, I was pre- preparing the snack. I had my own home 
registered with the environmental health because they felt it was going to be easier to register my kitchen at home than try and register the forest as a uh, as a kitchen facility yeah so it was just all the kind of consumable resources and the the things that I needed like I say you know first aid kits and all that kind of stuff is is where the the setup cost came in and I guess just to sort of round it off round us off at the end has it all been worth it at this point yes Absolutely. But if you'd have asked me, I don't know, if you'd have asked me, I was very anxious as lockdown came to an end. I was very anxious about returning. I was worried that I was going to have to start from scratch again. And I I didn't feel like I had the energy in me to start all over again. I was worried about the numbers of children that we would have on roll. I was worried about having to, yeah, start from scratch again. And, but I felt like I owed it to myself to give it one more try because we could have quite happily quite easily slipped under the radar and just become a victim of covid couldn't we we could have just said oh well you know we'd only just opened you know we just didn't survive the pandemic and nobody would have been any the wiser and and nobody would have blamed us for it but I felt like I owed it to myself to give it one more go and I'm so glad that I did because we have all these children on roll now and I've got children on the waiting list and you know I've got two amazing staff members I've got student student teacher placement people coming out because they want to come and and see what it's all about and it's really important to me that I inspire other people to to do this as well because I think it's so important for our children that they have you know access to this way of of having their early years so yeah absolutely it is worth it yeah definitely definitely good I think you're right I think it's important to inspire other people I think we're at a very important time now I think we've had this horrible we're still in it the global pandemic and I think for you and for us for our businesses it's been very stressful and difficult but actually the nature of our businesses now is so much more relevant than it was before. You're sort of seeing the the offset of that, which I think is positive. It sounds like you feel very positive and excited, and it sounds like things are really starting to get the momentum that they need to see you into the next phase now, because this next phase is exciting. Getting through the first year is oh, exhausting, but I think now now you can sort of start to... It's still going to be hard work, but I hopefully you're going to see some of the benefits of it and, and the rewards of it. Well, that's it. It's not all completely new to us now. And yes. we found our feet and now we're in that kind of next level of, you know, tweaking it and adapting and yeah, and going for our second, second round. Exciting. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm really excited about the future. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Sal. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, hopefully everybody's got a bit of insight into the realities of, of what it means to set something up and how important it is. I think you're a wonderful inspiration, particularly to the young teachers of Wales, and hopefully we'll see more settings like yours popping up along the way. So thanks again, Sal. We'll look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks so much for having me, Hannah. Thank you.